if you don't have that chance to make a completely different move and you're stuck to the past, but you want to change it a bit, it's less radical. And we know that when things are not too radical, they don't go so well. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. This week, I am joined by Camille Michelli, the new artistic director of Emilio Pucci. Camille's name may be new to you, yet I have known the half-French, half-Italian creative from her start. I followed her career from a liar to Chanel with Karl Lagerfeld, Louis Vuitton with Marc Jacobs, and then to Christian Dior with John Galliano, and finally with Nicolas Guesquier. Camille's articulate vision is a fine match for the house that invented playful prints and fashion for the birth of travel as vacation. Camille has added a touch of the psychedelic and put the focus not on today's digital patterns, but on handmade playful prints for Pucci. I just caught up with Camille when we were both judging the Polymoda student fashion show in Florence during the men's trade show, Pitti Womo. Let's hear now from Camille as she tells us how she is bringing back the nomadic, multi-seasonal, multi-destination resort wear wardrobe into our fashion lives. So Camille, I'm so thrilled to be able to talk to you and I'm doubly thrilled for you because, you know, I think I'm one of the rare people who's followed your career right from the beginning. All the people who really care about fashion knew and know all about you. But suddenly you're really out in the sunshine, you are in full flower and um, that must be very exciting, exciting for me, but it also must be exciting for you exhilarating even to have a famous label to play with and you know Pucci for me is such an iconic name and it carries a powerful history so tell me how you imagine that Emilio Pucci who dressed legendary figures like Jacqueline Kennedy how does she look through your eyes that's what interests me first of all thank you uh, Susie I am in fact I am extremely thrilled because I thought it was the perfect match for me I've been working, as you know, for uh, all these years, almost, almost more than 30 years now. And uh, this is a new way of approaching my job and completely a new job. And uh, I would not have done it maybe for too many other people. And I thought that when um, Delphine Arnaud and Sidney Toledano proposed me Pucci, I thought it was going to be the perfect match because... I mean, he was, he was Italian. It's an Italian company. I'm half Italian. It's more about a way of living and a way, a lifestyle thing. So I feel quite connected to this kind of philosophy and the way he was approaching life in my fantasy. What I see and the imagine, in the image, the images I see of him, I thought that this man was absolutely incredible for the time being he was in. He was super modern. He seemed to enjoy a lot. 
and he seems to be very joyful, which is kind of relating to who I am. So for me, the story of Pucci is, I mean, I feel very much at my ease, strangely. I feel like I've been here for years. I'm here only for eight months, so it's very new. It seems to be very natural. Everything to be, it seems to be very natural for me. Talking of natural things, tell us why you decided to show your first sign of what you designed was in that Italian hotspot called Capri. And um, Emilio Pucci was a genius himself for foreseeing a new world of vacations in the sun or, or in the snow. But that was half a century ago. And is there anyone left in Europe or America who doesn't know about holiday travel? How did you make Pucci part of a fresh future? First of all, Capri was very evident for me. It was like there was no doubt. It was very immediate. Even though he started, as you of course know, Susie, he started with the winter collection when he started uh, years and years ago in Zermatt. But as we were, I mean, for me, Pucci represent really summer. It represent a certain uh, colors, uh, very vivid, very uh, fresh, and very summery. So the destination was Capri. I love the the images of him in Capri uh, with his uh, linen uh, trousers and with his sandals, the big foot coming out of the sandal. Love those kind of details. Him organizing parting in Capri, doing the limbo. So, I mean, all this kind of fantasy was for me very evident to do the launch of this collection in Capri. That was the first thing. Then after... You said, of course, everyone, and I mean, the time is different when that, than when he was at the time. Uh, people are all traveling, are all traveling. I mean, traveling has become such a democratic thing that there is not so much surprise. But I think that after what we've been going through with the pandemic, with all this kind of a very strange world we are in, uh, to give a little break of all this stress, all this angoisse uh, that we are facing today and take the people and give them like two days of a farniente, a joyful, a very light and uh, a moment in Capri, which is a very nice island. We are out of season. You're not like in August, in August with full of people. It's more relaxed. It's a little bit more, it's more chic. It was quite evident. And we have a store there. You know, we don't... I mean, it's a very small company, as you know. They don't have so many stores, and one of them is in Capri. So it was even more of a reason to do the lounge there. I want you to tell me a little bit about your sense of colour, because that's something that Emilio Pucci himself um, was known for. I mean, he started his brand a long time ago, 1947, and it was a kaleidoscope of colourful patterns and made into casual wear. I'd like to say now, because there are some of our listeners who may not be so familiar with his work, will you describe his fabric designs and how it helped you to set the tone of Pucci in this new millennium? You know, I mean, I am someone that when I enter a house, it is very important to mould myself into the house. I go, I go backwards. I go backwards to the brand. I am... 
je me substitue, I substitute myself to the brand. So the first thing, of course, when I arrived here, I mean, my first, my first thing is obsession was the prints because Emilio Pucci is known about the prints. And especially I was looking at the prints he used to do in the 70s, the psychedelic ones, where you think, okay, the guy must have been in a trip completely, completely crazy because by the colors, the movement of the trip, of the, of the prints. Another reason why we did it in Capri is that because one of the famous prints he's done, which is Marmo, he invented it when he was in the Grotta Azzurra, this famous grotte in Capri, where you have the reflection of the sun coming onto the sea and the movement of it inspired him for this print. Going back to prints, my also another thing, when I arrived, I had, I used to have a vintage dress from Emilio that I bought a long time ago. And it was with the fish print, which is another print we've used for the first collection. And I was looking at it. And then after I looked at the showroom with the past things that they had, like past recent things, and I went to, there is a, a guy in the team called Mirko who has been here for 25 years, so, and he works on the prints. And I've asked Mirko, but listen, I don't, I want to understand your prints, the prints you've done until now, how do you do them? By computer? And he said, yes. I said, that's why. We've lost all the humanity, all the imperfection of a man hand-drawing the prints, where you have a little shaking, where you have a little bit of the color that fades to the other. I mean, all this kind of imperfection, all this kind of detail, the charm of the prints were completely avoided all these years by the computer. It's not, because you have to understand another thing that is very important, Susie. Today we are in a time where all those big houses, they think about uh, archives and putting things into archives. At the time, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, they didn't have this kind of mindset. So it's not like you go tomorrow and you go and see in Como to a supplier and they tell him, listen, to me again, the print of 1971, he doesn't have any archive. So which means that we all, we have to hand-draw again everything. And the fact of hand-drawing the thing again gives another charm, gives the charms of the time. And for me, it was one of the first things that I was very happy about to have realized and to even put even more Emilio onto a piedestal. It's even more, he's even more the star for me, like using the hand again to redo these prints. But Camille, you're also a star. It's no, extraordinary. No. When we look at your career and what you've done, you may not have been on the front line with everybody shouting out your name, but I know you were there. And uh, you've worked with so many people. You worked with Azadina Liar right at the beginning, didn't you, in as an internship. Yeah. Then you started working with Karl Lagerfeld at Chanel, that's not bad, and you joined Louis Vuitton to be a communications director for Marc Jacobs, who was the um, creative director then. And those must have been extraordinary years. What was the most amazing thing out of those things that I listed? What, um, what do you remember most? Haha. <laughs> Alors, it's difficult to name one thing. Uh, maybe I'll name uh, one anecdote for each place. <laughs> so the first one was Azdin. He teach me how to be become a total maniac and very <laughs> and very. Uh, I mean, 
quite precise, but very maniac. I mean, I remember I could not sit too much. I was obliged to stand and to be sure that uh, between each garment, you have 12 centimeters separating each garment. He was, he was asking, it was stupid, but I mean, it makes you an obsession that the thing is well done. That was one, one of the things uh, that really like, uh, set up my mind, my mindset for work. Then after there is Carl. The Carl years were amazing because there I discovered the, how can we say? I don't like that word of marketing, but maybe it's the most adequate. In fact, you were part of that story, Susie. It was, I don't know which years, it was probably 91 or something, 92. And you wrote an article saying that the Chanel bag was not in anymore and that people were not carrying anymore the Chanel bag. And it was like two or three days before the show. And so he called me and with Veronique Perez and he said, okay, get the uh, page, the advertising page in the New York, in the Herald Tribune in front of the critic of Susie, the day we're going to show, the day she's going to write the critic. So he started to draw a fantastic drawing of a Chanel bag, extremely beautiful, of course, as you can imagine, saying Chanel forever. And then he tells me, you, you call all your friends and you distribute and you give them, a, a, he picked up, we picked the Chanel bag, the jersey one, all colors, I don't know, like 10 different colors. And we gave them to the girls, some girls into the, for the show. So all arrived with the bag, with the bag, within different colors to show you that the Chanel bag was still on. <laughs> I'll tell you a very funny thing that you would never have known, which was after I wrote this article, as you say, saying that it was out, that um, the New York Times went hysterical because the um, advertising department said, we'll never get another ad from the, that company again. You've lost it. You've done it. Terrible. And um, of course, it was the opposite because the next day they paid for a whole page. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, it's so funny that you remember that. Yeah. So that was Carl. And then with Mark, um, I mean, Mark, I will never forget him enough when uh, the day, you know, I got my son and I know you, when you give birth, you change a bit your, your objective in life. And I started to be a little bit bored by communication and all that. And I said to him, listen, I want to do something more creative. And he said, come to the studio, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, and one day he came to me and he asked me for a pair of earrings. And that's how my new life started. And I would not probably be here today if Mark would not have been there at the time, honestly. Well, your, your commitment to jewellery is very, very striking. I mean, it's a long story and, and you were a creative director for fashion jewellery, weren't you? And then also leather goods. And um, I have to say this because everybody knows it, that the, in the end, these are the parts of these companies that make the money. However amazing the clothes are, it's the bags and the shoes and the jewellery that make the difference. And isn't that why you were moved over to um, Christian Dior when John Galliano was there as a designer? And as we know, he was absolutely incredible. But you were the person who stood behind, it's slightly in the shadows, making these amazing accessories. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably also, you know, it was, it was a combo of a few things. First of all, it has been 12 years at Louis Vuitton, which was quite already a long time. 
And uh, Mark was less and less there. And uh, Peter Copping was going, you know, it was kind of a, you know, when you have a team from the beginning and then the team gets a bit spread, it's probably the time to change also. And so they proposed me that position at Dior. Delphine proposed me that position at Dior for the jewelry and for the bags. And I thought, okay, fine, fantastic. I was very happy about it. And I must say that uh, another very big chance I had, like Sydney, Toledano get, um, had the strength and the balls, which is not very elegant as a word, but huh? it says so. It's true. <laughs> to say, uh, you know, we're going to close all the department, the DFS, all the duty freeze. We're going to raise up the price. Uh, it's okay if we don't make money immediately. So, I mean, all those kind of things, all those kind of bets were very important because if you don't have that chance to make a completely different move and you're stuck to the past, but you want to change it a bit, it's less radical. And we know that when things are not too radical, they don't go so well. So that was another chance of mine. I've often wondered, you know, because, as you've said yourself, your name is not known in the way that other names are known for people who work very hard in companies. I mean, th these years at Louis Vuitton with Nicolas Gesquier as creative director, um, we only hear his name. We, we haven't been hearing yours. And yet your part was so tremendously important again with the accessories. Did you realise at that point how important you were and still are for the LVMH companies? But uh, probably, I would not say no, I would say yes. And in fact, they give me back. It's probably an affair. It's like an affair. I mean, since 1997, so it's a long time we've known each other. So there's a trust. There is uh, there is confidence into each other. And um, yeah, and I think that also, I mean, I'm not someone, I'm not a naive person. I know that also, I mean, the fact that there've been so much money involved into those kind of, in, in those places. It's probably gave me a lot of credit also. But you know, Susie, honestly, I don't care about being, um, back, uh, and not, uh, and not, uh, my name not shout out. I'm someone that doesn't have this kind of uh, ego problem. I've never had it. And if I can be super honest also with you, <laughs> like four, six, five months ago, I was thinking to myself, Fuck, you know, the one that has been very clever is Marta Margiela. Vivons heureux, vivons cachés. But the, the luxury, the luxury of the man, come on. It doesn't, he didn't have to show up anywhere. He could have been, I mean, it's a big luxury, I think. But I don't think nowadays the, the, it's accurate with the time we are in. Well, I mean, let's think of the past also. Let's think about Pucci and how you see Pucci now. Because Emilio Pucci himself was a very interesting man. I mean, he was a very important figure in, his, in Florence, in his hometown. He had a very noble background, traced through centuries. He continued to represent his city even when he was creating fashion especially sportswear. Did any of his early work inspire you? Did you look at any of it and think, 
well, he was so ahead of his time. I could do that now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and we when I when I arrived here September first, two weeks later, I was in Florence to the archive, and there was a between a cat suit and a bathing suit already. The mix is something, and it was done in a stretch, in a tulle stretch, which was from the 60s. The modernity of the material was all amazing. And I said, we have to bring back that thing. We have to bring back that material. The thing was quite body conscious for the time. You know, you think, okay, okay, he was doing kafton. But at the same time, the body, the woman of the body of the woman was very much important for him. And so we need to bring back also the body conscious into the collection also. You, you do have to address not only a carton, which is not a body part, a body thing, but it's a silhouette. It's not something about your body, but then also the body conscious. And with the tulle stretch, was so modern to me, I was like, I was amazed by that thing. It's quite difficult when you're dealing very much, particularly in Italy, of a heritage which is uh, a family heritage. I wonder whether you had a chance to discuss the heritage with Laudomio Pucci, Emilio's daughter. I know, I, I want to be honest here and say, I know that creative designers often feel that they don't want to get weighed down by a company's history and by somebody saying maybe, well, my father would never have done that, my mother wouldn't have liked it. How do you feel about that, about the way that you can be part of what was basically, a, is basically a, a company and a family? Laudomia knew her a little bit. Uh, socially, and her daughter was an intern at Dior at one point when I was there with us. So I, uh, so I mean, I had some connection, and my brother is very close to her. So already I had some connection, private, in uh, introductions. So which made the thing a little bit easier. And um, as I was telling you, so two weeks after I arrived, I went straight to the archive, and at the end of the day, Laudomia came. And, and she came and she asked me what struck me. And so I took her around and I showed her and I showed her the pictures I've taken. I showed what I, what I took out from the archives as prints, as model, as, I mean, as all these inspiration I could find. I mean, she was very nice and very, she was not judging at all. Absolutely not. Which was very nice for me because, I mean, I was quite impressed in a way. And then after, like a month and a half ago, something like that, to two months ago, I invited Laudomia here to show her the first collection and get her opinion. Because for me, it's very important. I'm someone very, as I was telling you, I like to mold myself into a house. So to have uh, the heritage and to have the daughter of the creator of this place, it's very important for me to have the credit of that person and to have the opinion of that person. So it's not like, I mean, today we don't have any kind of... Uh, contract things together that I am obliged to show her anything. But for me, it is very important that she approves or she doesn't, I mean, to, to show her the things and to have her opinion. So she came here 
And I didn't know how to start with the story of the print and the computer thing. And I waited a bit. And then I, sh I looked at her. She was very much into the colors. She was like, oh, c'est joli les couleurs. Bravo, c'est bien les couleurs, les couleurs. And then I showed her and I said, listen, so you see, Laodomi, another thing that I've changed is that everything is done by hand now anymore, again, as it used to be. So she was very much impressed by that. And I mean, she's been so super nice. And then after she sent me flowers, she congratulates me. And for me, that was probably one of the most, com the best compliment I could have. I'm rather intrigued, you know, about this first Pucci offering of yours, because you seem to focus not on the 60s when he sort of um, came out with meeting all these famous people and dressing them and the whole business of dressing for travel. Um, you went straight to the 1970s and the freedom of that era. Tell me, is it because it was your own youth or why did you choose the 1970s? First of all, because, uh, I mean, they represent for me such a freedom and a joyful moment uh, at the time in my fantasy. Second, I found that the prints that he used to do at, the t at that time were absolutely... Uh, I mean, I'm in love with them because they. I feel like I'm, lo I'm looking at them, I'm tripping already. Just like by looking at them, I'm having a trip. So <laughs> that was probably why uh, I concentrate on that part. But we did that. And then after, you know, the way he used to color also sometimes was not so much related to the time he was in. So that's also the interesting thing about uh, those kind of, about Emilio Pucci's work, is that you do have a print that is very 70s, but it's not in brown, orange, all those kind of colors from the 70s that they used to, that they used, that we used to have. They are in a vivid, in very vivid and bright and joyful colors. So, the, the, it's a bit of a digestion of a very typical psychedelic, trippy print, but done into colors that are also trippy sometimes, but like an explosion. So not completely related to the 70s coloration. I, I, really, I don't really know your family, but I remember you telling me that your grandmother wore Pucci and she said that the prints are so strong, it's something that you never forget. And that you yourself were a, a, a teenager at the time and you found Pucci so striking that you purchased these vintage clothes that you were talking about. Um, so that there was really a run through from the family words to you seeing these things. Was this also a way of proving to yourself and also proving to the rest of the fashion world that Pucci can be multi-generational, meaning that you can do it for different ages and maybe there's somebody's grandmother somewhere saying of your new clothes, I really love that, I want to wear it. And then that there's somebody of her her granddaughter, who also wants it. you imagine that? Yeah, definitely. Because for me, another way, another thing, when I presented uh, my dossier to uh, Sidney Toledano and Delphine Arnaud, I called the dossier La Familia Pucci. Pucci for me is a family, is a community, as it used to be at the time. The only thing is that we extended the community today. I mean, at the time, it was more about, I mean, we were in a time of celebrities and things like that. Today, the community 
is more about inclusivity and more about, in fact, different ages. And I, for example, there is a shirt, a silk shirt with the dahlia placed here, a pink. I, I thought about Doris Briner, our friend, uh, for that shirt. And in fact, it's ordered for her. Uh, she'll get it soon. And at the same time, I have a son, you know, who's 21, and he's got a very close friend of her, of him, who lives in London, and she's very lucky she's got a store in London. And she sent me a text again this weekend saying, I'm putting all myself into Pucci, all my, all my money that I'm saving, I'm saving my money to buy things at Pucci. So, I mean, the difference is, for me, essential and it's um, a sign of success to have the 21 years old to the 80 years old. It's for me the best. Voilà. So it was the idea of this story. It was the idea of this community. That's why also when we did the thing in Capri, there was a mix of people. It was not only one kind of, it was a mix. And for me, it's important. That mix, it's so accurate also with today. We, don't, we can't restrict ourselves. It's impossible. And another way of doing that is also to have a price range that is quite wide and uh, that can satisfy either a woman that doesn't have so, many mo so, mu so much money or she's a kid and she's saving her money from her presents that she gets for Christmas. And after two Christmas, she can get something probably, I hope, for her. But, you know, to keep this kind of uh, audience that is wide. We are very important. So I'm going to test you here. What is the least expensive outfit that somebody could buy? I'm 17 years old. I've fallen in love with it. Can I afford it? Yes, you can. <laughs> you can buy either, you can have a legging or you can also buy, a, I mean, a bathing suit not expensive. Uh, you can buy a thing for doing a, a athletic uh, to do yoga. Uh, you can buy uh, you can buy a headset, a headstand for the beach. Um, you can buy a bag that has been upcycled, uh, like a gallery bag, a tote bag. I mean, you have few things. Yes. You know, after this pandemic, which we've all across the world suffered. There's a feeling now that everybody wants some, a sort of light period in life, that sort of lifestyle companies, but thinking of places where you can wear clothes for holidays, for happy occasions. Are you thinking like that? Or is it just you have to make things that are not just for holidays? but also for other things? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think that life is, I mean, of course, there is this fantasy of, I mean, you see more and more people that don't want to live in a city. I mean, I don't know. I mean, in France, it's happening a lot. People are, want, are willing to move, but it's good. Of course, we need some results, some kind of holiday clothes, but I would put together party clothes, I would put together sports. Uh, I mean, it's all about a well-being. It's all about uh, a lifestyle, in fact, that you, what you were saying, Susie. So it's not only someone who is on the beach, but it's also someone who wants to have a nice body and she wants to be beautiful. And then after the next day, she's going to have a yoga lesson, so she needs to have her active wear clothes. And at the same time, 
uh, I like the idea of a lawyer, kind of, <laughs> a, a kind of a, a métier uh, qui, qui est avocate and she's in a city and she needs to have a, uh, she needs to have a dress for the city and she needs to have a jacket. So it's again, it's the community. We are following up this girl, these girls, and uh, all year long. And men, because another thing that is important that we can also, a man can also buy things at Pucci by uh, having, I mean, uh, shirts are um, in, ex in extra large or large, large size can be fit for a man. I think you should be so proud, Camille, for keeping yourself not in the shadows. You certainly aren't the sort of person who disappeared, but your name has not been up in lights since you were 25 years old. And yet you have achieved so much. And this is a moment when you're breaking into the sunshine. And um, I think people will understand that there's a lot of history behind, a lot of things you've learned over the years. And we're all seeing them. They're all now you've replanted them and they're all coming to flower. It's lovely for me to talk to you. As you say, we go back a long way, um, but I've always loved what you've done. Yeah, and, um, I remember Artie at the Deux Abeilles. Do you remember that a long time ago? I took you to that place, that small place in Paris called Les Deux Abeilles, Deux Abeilles that it place, tea place, we were the two of us. I was in a strange time and I and asked for your support and you said, of course, I will be there. I remember that also. <laughs> well, I remember going to Italy and yeah. meeting with Mr. Pucci himself, which was an oh. amazing experience. I saw him and he had such a feeling for colours, but he was also a very important figure in the city and in the country. And um, I was quite shy, never that shy, but um, I will always remember and how beautiful everything looked. So you've brought something back to life for me as well. And that's very enjoyable for me. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm trying and I hope that it's going to be more and more. And uh, yeah, and trying to do it a bit differently. And I liked also, you know, another thing we didn't talk about is the way we approach the model is not like, I mean, as we don't have so many stores, as you know, and it's more and I mean, when you see people the way they are consuming today, they are consuming from their bed. So to emphasize this part of the internet and having a retail that is more based on the internet, we do have the story of those drops, like every month you do have new things arriving into the offer. It's another way of seeing things also. It gives another kind of uh, excitement. Well, excitement. I'm trying to give excitement I mean, we've been, uh, we are so inva invaded by images, invaded by consuming, invaded by all that all day and swapping from left to doing all the, the movement of the finger from left to right all day long. So I'm trying to strike a little bit without any pretentiousy, without being pretentious, but like just like giving some times and some rendezvous to people with Pucci. 
That's what I'm trying to do. And one last thing, Camille. Tell me, are you still in love with jewellery? Are we going to see a lot of jewellery in your new world? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, we've done a necklace. It's already sold out. You can't find some anymore. And it was not a cheap necklace. It was 1,800 euros. We can't, I mean, I had a, a, a friend of mine who texted me, I don't, can't find it. Find it for me. Do it again. I said, no, no, no. It's done. It's done. It's gone. Bye. Ciao. We do it another time. We do it something else. That's another right. nice thing. To do small quantities, not to do too big, and it goes out of stock. For me, it's another big satisfaction. I can't stand waste. I can see something beautiful on your hand, something beautiful around your neck, and I can't wait to see some more. Thank you so Thank much you. for talking to me. Thank you, Susie. It's a joy for me to see you, and I can't wait for you to carry on with your next show. Thank you. And I hope you come to Milan and come and say hello. Yes, I will indeed. I look forward to it. Lots of love. Thank you to you. Thank you, Camille, for your lively conversation, revealing a version of Pucci through your eyes. I loved hearing you talk about returning to pen and ink when designing the patterns for the House of Pucci. It's so encouraging, and I have to say that it's such a joy to see your energy and your new vision for the heritage of Emilio Pucci. Next time, I shall be joined by Danielle Rosebury, the creative director of Scaparelli. His couture collection will be shown in Paris just as a Scapa exhibition opens at MAD, the Paris Musée des Arts Décoratifs. Now the Couture House, founded by Elsa Scaparelli in 1927, is fronted by an American in Paris. Danielle Rosebury will be talking to me about haute couture, surrealism, his own religious upbringing and his powerful vision of a 21st century Scaparelli. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. <laughs>